last week, uh, Pastor Adam Durkin gave an announcement about his upcoming trip to Lebanon, and it was so awesome just to hear his heart. And I'm just, are you guys freaking out for, for Adam a little bit? Isn't it awesome? He gets to go on a plane and go to Lebanon. I'm so grateful for his heart, uh, for his uh, commitment uh, to not only the flight, to the travel, to the, to the risk, and really to the love that's going to be expressed. I, I've only been to Lebanon once, and I remember getting off the plane and as we walked through the Lebanese airport, just it's foreign, you know, you don't know where you're at. And, and, I, and I saw Adam, he was already there, he was living there. And, and that's when I met Yasser as well. And, and when I met them and saw them, the, the joy in their hearts, they were there. We showed up with the team and they were just so blessed to have people visit them. And as much as it is, all, you know, praying for Adam, praying for Adam, when Adam shows up, it's going to be, I mean, he's going to, he, he might as well be wearing a Santa suit, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, oh, you know, here I am. And, and it's going to be such a blessing. So thank you guys for your prayers. Uh, and participation. We ask you to partner with us uh, in an effort to get vitamins and some other supplies that are unavailable over there. Just so you know, we have enough vitamins, okay? So if you have an order coming on Amazon.com, good for you. You're going to need all, you know, we, we got more, more vitamins than he can carry over there in duffel bags. So I want to say, number one, we got enough. Number two, thank you for being so generous and responsive in the way that we ask you to participate in our needs. Not only that, but we're sending Pastor Adam Durkin over there with the legal amount of money that you can travel internationally, which is $10,000 cash. Now, Adam's a big guy. I'm not worried about him in that way. And so and here's how it works. Uh, the South Beach Church is committed to local missions. That's what church is. To national missions. That's helping churches all over in America. And international missions or ministry. That's all over the globe as God gives us uh, money here. Finances, we steward that to the best of our ability with relationships and faith and serve other places. And the only way that that's possible is by your faithful and generous giving. And here's the deal. We were going to send Adam with $10,000 regardless of anything that came in. We were just committed to it because we love our brothers and sisters in Lebanon, and that's what God put on our heart to do. And so when he made that announcement, a bunch of you decided to help out with that $10,000 amount and say, we'd like to help out. We'd like to help out in almost all of that money has come in specifically for that mark just within the last week, also covering Pastor Adam's flight needs and all the rest. Can you just clap? It's crazy. And as your pastor and as your friend and, and as somebody who just wants to see you grow, wants to see the world reached, this is such, this is such a cool church. It's such a, did you know we've never taken an offering here at South Beach Church in the 11 years I've been here? Never once passed the hats. We have three or four offering boxes here in the back, and we took one away, and we have three. And there's a way you can send in money, and someone texts me from Medford, from Ashland, my, my insurance agent down there, and he said, hey, Luke, I'd like to give to, to, to Lebanon. So cool. And I, I said, just write it out to Luke for shed. It'll be fine. <laughs> That's not what I said. That's not what I said. No, I told him, I said, go online, find the, find the PayPal, you know, the push thing. And, and he did it. And, and just so grateful for the generosity. And, and I just want you guys to know that that's how it works, okay? This church doesn't make revenue by sales. We don't make any money by what we sell. We only sell a couple things. We sell hoodies and we sell hats and we actually lose money with every hoodie and every hat we sell. We don't, we're not very good business people. It, we make money by, by donations, by tithes and offerings. People give generously. And as a, lead, as a pastor, there's so many things on my radar that I'm concerned about, and the kids and the staff and the, the lost and the services and the money and everything I'm concerned about. It's, it's crazy, though, how God has been so generous to this church by way of the, the stewarding of the finances. And I just, I just am humbled and I thank Jesus for what he's done. He knows what he needs to, he knows what he's got planned, doesn't he? God knows what he's gonna do through this church. He knows what, what we need. But I want you guys to be a part of that. I want you to understand that. And, 
I got three sermons lined up for you today. One of them is on money. Okay, you guys ready for the first one? A little, little sermon on money. And the reason I want to do this is because this might be the fifth or sixth time in the last 11 years I've even taught on money. I don't like talking about money. I don't like giving the false impression that God's broke or that God's stingy. Okay, two things you need to understand. God's not broke and he's not stingy. Okay, he is rich and he is generous. And any church or leader or author or speaker that gives you any other impression that God needs your money or he doesn't know what to do or he's spazzing out, eh, turn the channel, go to a different, you know, figure something out, like t- tune it out. God is rich and he's generous, more so than we'll ever understand. But I want to speak to you guys just a little bit about money because, listen, this is what Jesus said. He said, where your treasure is, that's money, there your heart will be also. Listen, your, your money matters because your heart matters. You're stewarding everything you do. And it's not just treasure, it's time. Your day has a commodity called time. And there's talent, that's the skills that God's given to you. It's the DNA that God's put in you. It's very important. And you are going to be held accountable one day. The Lord's going to look through your life and say, how'd you spend your time? I just got, a, I just got the, the text from iPhone. You guys have an iPhone? I just got the update. 17% less usage last week on my iPhone. Woohoo! You know, I didn't get ripped off by 17%. Okay, whatever. That's, I'm celebrating. You guys can be stingy. And you're going to give an account for your time every day, 24 hours in a day. What'd you do? You're rich. You're going to give an account for your talent. God's given you gifts. He's given you insight, wisdom, experiences. Don't hold those to yourself. And he's given to you treasure. And he wants you to be aware of what he wants from you because he wants you to do good. Did you know, check this out. Did you know that Jesus talked more about wealth, stewardship, and finances okay, combined, more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. He actually taught and instructed more about wealth, stewardship, and finances, more than heaven and hell. And you know what, though? Jesus never had any money. Jesus never wanted your money. And so I want you to just settle in with me and just freak out. Jesus is talking about money, wealth, and stewardship, but he's not, he doesn't want it. Do you really think that Jesus really just wants you to be successful? Here, listen, and in heaven. He wants you to do it well. Successful is an interesting word. He wants you to know his heart. Because the heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. And it's not just your treasure, because where your treasure is, your heart will be. But I tell you what, I've been doing this. I'm just going to get to the punchline where I'm going here. I've been trying not to rob the Lord with my first fruits, okay, recently, of the day. I don't rob the Lord of my first fruits of my wage. I have been a faithful tither since my parents told me to be. Tithe means 10%. I give 10% of everything I make, okay? Everything to the Lord. 10% of my gross wage goes to the Lord because my parents taught me that. That's what I do. But the first fruits, the first 6.30 a.m. moments, do you know where they go in my life? Just gonna confess to my phone. First thing I do is I check all these little things on the phone, you know, and then I quickly check my emails while my coffee's brewing, and I quickly check my messages, and I quickly check a couple other things, and I check all these things, and if I'm not careful, by the time my coffee's done and my Bible's open, my mind's already gone a hundred different directions, and I'm going to challenge you right now, your time, your talent, your treasure, don't rob the Lord of your first fruits. Matter of fact, if you don't get anything out of what I'm about to say about your money, okay, just get this. Try it this week alone. This week, maybe you're maybe you're already doing this, but this week, if you're not doing this, this week, when you wake up, first thing, pray and read your Bible. Okay? Just pray and read your Bible. Just pray. Just sit down, put your phone away, put your get a journal out, and just pray out loud. Read your Bible. Bring your requests to the Lord. 
spend time with him. Ask him to go before you and give him the, it's the first fruits. The first fruits means the first part of your day. This is the first day of the week. It's Sunday. That's why we're here. It's the first part. We're giving him the first, the first parts of the first day. And if you don't seek the Lord first in everything, you probably won't seek the Lord first in anything. This is going to freak you out. In the rest of your day, in the rest of your week, things are going to, they're going to come fast. And you need to have a reactionary mechanism in a system that says, I seek the Lord first. Pressure comes. Temptation comes. An opportunity comes. Something comes. Lord, where are you at? And you are that person who sought the Lord first. First thing you thought of was the Lord. If you don't seek the Lord first in everything, you probably won't seek the Lord first in anything. And when it comes to financial matters, I did just a little bit of research on the internet last night. I did not cross-check any of this, but I used my Google machine, so it's probably true. I'll just read it to you. Okay, check this out. Did you know that only 24% of millennials demonstrate basic financial literacy? That means 75% of millennials have no idea how money works. Is that a surprise to anybody? That's <laughs> not a surprise. I'm reading. Keep reading. Keep reading. Financial illiteracy cost Americans $415 billion in 2020. Okay, that means people who didn't know how to do their finances, they had a late fee or they lost something here, and an average of $1,600 per American, $415 billion just gone because nobody knows what they're doing. Number three, I'm just going to read a couple of these and get to my point. Less than half of, a US, of the U.S. Uh, states require students to take a course on personal finance. So 20 states in America are saying, let's teach our kids how to, how to be financially savvy. The rest are just hoping that they figure it out. 40% of student loan borrowers aren't even making payments. That's not good. Uh, the average credit card debt in America stands at uh, just over $6,000. Uh, that's average, which means people have way more, people have way less. I've been in that boat before. Uh, right now, we don't have any credit card debt at our, our home. Super grateful for that. Uh, just 39% of Americans, this is crazy, only 39% of Americans have enough money to navigate through a $1,000 emergency. So only, for, only, for, only 39% of Americans can handle, what oh, we need an extra thousand bucks. You know, my tooth fell out or, you know, I fell down the stairs or my, my carburetor or my alternator or both of them fell, you know. 40% of Americans have saved less than 300 bucks. 32% of Americans saved nothing for retirement in 2020. And the last stat just blew my mind. Uh, over 70% of Americans' retirement plan is to keep working. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's, what's wrong with that? <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. I just threw those out there because I want you to understand that God says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to seek me first in everything. And guess what I'm going to do? He says this in Malachi chapter 4. He says, I'll, I'll bless you. I'm just going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. And so when Jesus talks about wealth, stewardship, and finances, the best thing you can understand that he doesn't even have any money, he doesn't want your money, he instead wants your heart, and he wants you to do well. Let me give you a principle we've talked about over the years, is that it doesn't matter how much you have or don't have. Sometimes we think that if you don't have a lot, if you're poor, if you're living in, in, in a, a minority group or, or a smaller group, I shouldn't say minority group, but what's the, what's the below poverty group? If you're living in a poverty group and you're below that, oh man, something's wrong. No, it's not. No, it's not. Some people actually mistake if you have a lot of money, if you're rich, that you're doing good. How many of you guys have seen rich people do bad? Let me give you the terms that we've used before. There are the righteous rich, okay? And there are the righteous poor. And there are the unrighteous rich, okay? That aren't generous, they're not kind, they're greedy, and they want to blame the lower class. And then there are the unrighteous poor who, who, who are lazy and who, who, who don't do what they're supposed to do. But there's righteous poor people. I've seen more generosity out of, out of people in poverty 
okay, that blows my mind. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he was at the temple and people were giving money, one lady gave a few bucks, okay, not a big deal, not going to change the end, the end game there at the temple. And Jesus said, hey, guys, did you see how she gave? That was, that was a trip. And he was so impressed with her heart. She was a righteous, poor person. So it doesn't matter how much you have. So you could sit here and say, I'm in debt. Luke, this doesn't have anything to do with me. Or, or I don't have any money. Or I'm just poor. I'm never going to. Listen, your money matters because your heart matters. Here's my point. Here at SBC, we have a bunch of givers, generous people who give every month. And it's how we can sub support Lebanon missions. It's how we can support local ministry. It's how this church pays its bills. It's how we're able to support eight different families here on staff. We put away money every single, did you know we put away money every single month? We call it an overage. More money is given than we spend here at South Beach Church every single month for the last eight to 10 years. Even in 2020. You guys remember 2020? That was a trip. Everyone's freaking out. Oh, it's going to happen, you know? And you guys just, everyone's just like, well, well, we give. I remember we had a meeting over there. The whole church was cleared out. 2020 was a trip. And we had our staff meeting over there, and we were all social distance and freaking out, you know? And, and I, it was like April, and the thing went down in March, and I said, here's the deal, guys. Nobody's getting terminated. We don't, we're not having services anymore. I don't know. I've never done this before, you know? Any volunteers to be lead pastor? Nobody? Okay. I don't know what we're doing. And we shut down for six months. And, and I said, nobody's getting fired. Nobody's getting demoted. We're just going to have to navigate through this together. Just commitment. And you guys kept giving. Never did a special offering, never freaked out. I thank you. I think, but I, I more than thank you, I want you to continue to honor the Lord in your time, talent, and treasure, starting tomorrow with your first fruits in the morning. Starting with everything you, because everything you have is given to you from the Lord already, isn't it? You guys get this. You, you understand this. It's all the Lord's. And when you bring the Lord into it, you say, Lord, this is yours. My health and my, my situation He's asked us to be faithful with what he's given in order that he might continue to do what he wants to do. So I'm just going to say a quick prayer uh, for Adam as he prepares to head to Lebanon and, and as you guys have been so faithful to give. And, and uh, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for this church, and I pray you'd bless them. Lord, it's not about money. It really isn't. It's about our hearts. Lord, I am so convinced that you can give and take away money faster than anybody can imagine. And if money were really the issue, you would just figure it out, but that's not the issue all the time. It's our hearts. And so I just repent, Lord, of matters in my own life that I have confused with material things or stresses, or I just want you to have my heart. James actually gave us some wisdom. He said, don't buy and sell things, but instead ask the Lord if he wants you to buy and sell things and then buy and sell things. Just bring the Lord right into the middle of it. I thank you, Jesus. Would you bless Adam as he prepares to bless others, Lord? as we give out of our abundance and they receive in their need, bless them. And I pray, Lord, for our time, talent, and treasure, that this church would be a church that does not rob you, that you would bless the moms and dads so busy sometimes, and I pray we'd seek you first. Bless us now as we get into Colossians. I pray that we'd be enriched and encouraged in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Uh, that's sermon number one. Uh, sermon number two is a continuation of last week's, and we had five things. The title of the sermon was, Five Things You Must Do When You're Suffering. First thing was suffer like Jesus. Paul says in verse 24, I'll read it to you. He says, if, or he said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, listen, and I fill up in my flesh that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship for you to fulfill the word of God. Stop right there, rise up here. 
Paul gives us point one and point two right there. He says that I'm doing what Jesus did. I'm just suffering like Jesus did. I'm not greater than my master. Your life will be a life of suffering, especially if you're a Christian. If you're going to follow after your master, there's going to be difficulties and hardships that come your way. It's not a bad thing. God's going to meet you in the middle and show you what he wants to show you only in those dark times. But not just that, but Paul says, I became a minister, a steward of this ministry to the church. Paul knew his role. The second point we talked about was know your role in suffering. You sign up for an event, you say yes, or you say I do, you get married, or you join the ministry. Man, I remember when Crystal and I were engaged, I'll tell two stories when we were engaged, but one time we were engaged, we were actually only engaged once and got married. But anyways, one time we, while we were engaged, this woman came up to us and she was so excited, like, oh man, you guys are so cute. And then she stopped and looked at Crystal. She said, I'm gonna be praying for you. <laughs> and it was kind of like, what? You know, she was dead serious. She's like, oh honey, you know, like, oh, it's gonna be tough for you to marry this guy, you know, and man. And marriage is tough. It's not easy and it's difficult. And we find ourselves accepting these roles. Okay, what's the role? You the boss? You the owner? Heavy lies the head that wears the crown. Don't freak out about it. Don't put that pressure on your employer, employees and staff. You a mom or dad? Don't put your mom and dad pressure on your kids. You a leader in an organization? You a captain of the team? You a single? Read the Bible. He gives instructions to single people. to marry. Know your role. It's going to cost you something. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And Paul tells us that. And if you have a good theology of suffering, a good doctrine of suffering, you won't spaz out, you won't freak out. And I want you guys to be prepared for what's coming next. Also for you who are in the throes of difficulty right now, it's hard for you. Okay, I want you to have some solace and some understanding. Why is it like this? Why is it like this? Remember when Staples came out with the easy button? Where's that? The easy button doesn't work. I just want it easier in my life. I want an easier marriage, easier health, easier finances. Eh, no such thing. God's not gonna do that for you. You know why? Because suffering matters. I don't like that. I don't want that to be true. I want to have my best life now. Can't somebody write a, a book called Best Life Now? Can't we have my best life now? You know, is that, is that a, it can't, I've never read that. I, I read this book and it says, no, you're going to have suffering. You're going to have suffering. And the thing about suffering is that we never really know where we're at in life, if it's going to lead to suffering or, or joy. We just really know because we're not there yet. Anybody there yet? We're just not there. We're, we're all in the middle. You are in the middle of life right now and you might get a brand new job. I got a new job. And all of a sudden the job's a total bummer. Boo. You know what? I, I got a new car. Yay. And the car's a lemon. It breaks down. Boo. You know what? I made a new friend. Yay. And they're related to Jeffrey Dahmer. Boo. You know, like I just never know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know. Anyways, I probably shouldn't have said that, but uh, yeah, I did. I did. We never know. Reminds me of a story I heard. It's a fake story, but it's a fun story. And it's a farmer and his friend talking. And the farmer said, hey, my son found a wild horse. He was out farming and he found a wild horse and he brought it home. And, and his friend said, that's awesome. And he said, well, how do you know? He said he was riding that wild horse and things were going great. And he got bucked off that wild horse and he broke his leg. And his neighbor said, oh, that's horrible. And the farmer said, well, how do you know? Because as soon as he broke his leg, our village went to war the next day. They needed battlers and warriors, and my son couldn't go, so he was saved from having to go to war, and he didn't have to go face that, and his neighbor said, oh, that's awesome. He said, well, how do you know? He said, as soon as they went to war, it was an easy victory, and they overcame the enemy, and they pillaged and got all this loot. They came home rich and wealthy from their victory, and my son missed out on that, and his friend said, oh, that's horrible, and he said, well, how do you know? Because as soon as they came home with all this money and wealth, they went to the bars and got all drunk, and they're all in jail right now and incarcerated, and things aren't going good for them. And my son didn't have that happen to him, too. He was like, oh, that's great. Said, well, how do you know? And I could keep going and going, couldn't I? How do you know? Here's the deal. You're going to suffer. And because we're Americans, we're humans, 
We don't like it. It's in, I, don't, I didn't deserve this. This isn't, this isn't my, your problem now becomes my responsibility. Oh, and, and we, we, we spaz out and we freak out when they're suffering. Did you know that God will allow your life to go through a series of plans and developments that include suffering? Yesterday, Sarah Yardley and Diane Baker went to the Lincoln County Jail to share the gospel with the inmates there. So cool. Storming the gates, just right in there. And, and the cool thing is, is they were teaching through John 11, which is the story of Lazarus' death. And as they were teaching the story, and we were talking about this on a group chat, and they were preparing to go, and I began to think about that story. Some people call it Lazarus' death. Some people call it Lazarus' resurrection. Okay, now, did God raise Lazarus from the dead in John 11? Ah, oh, that's awesome. Did Lazarus die in John 11? Oh, that's horrible. And in John 11, if you know the story, the emotions are real clear. Jesus shows up to the funeral, and Mary and Martha both separately rebuke Jesus to his face and tell him he did it wrong. They both say, hey, you know what? Um, <laughs> oh, man, remember when we sent you that message four days ago and you didn't show up? You remember? Dude, if you would have showed up, my brother wouldn't have died. We're gonna, I mean, they, separately, they both prayed, Lord, this is what we want. And if you remember the story in John 11, Jesus gets the prayer request and the disciples say, let's go. We got to fix Lazarus. And Jesus says, not yet. And they sit down. They're kind of confused. What are you doing, Jesus? We're going to let it get dark before it gets bright. <laughs> what? Why would you do this? Because I'm God and I'm communicating bigger points than what you're going through right now. Remember, Jesus asked the most important question ever to Martha. She said, I know my brother's going to rise from the dead. She's kind of snuck. I know he's going to rise from the dead. Remember? And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yeah, I believe it's all right. Then what I have desired to accomplish in your dark, pain, difficult suffering has been accomplished. And then he went and met with Mary. And the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. He wept in your pain, in your suffering, in your loss, and in your confusion. The Lord is not aloof, and the Lord is not distant. He's there with you, knowing that this is part of the plan. Just hold on. But I don't want to fight cancer, Lord. I don't want to be single. Lord, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want a giant taunting me. I don't want to deal with this, Lord. And the Lord says, Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for I am with you. And I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. This is what the Lord does. I want easy peasy lemon squeezy. That's why I was checking the Cabo San Lucas weather pattern. That's what I want. And the Lord says, nah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And it's okay to weep. It's okay to have raw emotions. Suffering is a normative part of the Christian life. Paul says something here. It's a confusing verse. And I find it okay that it's confusing because it's about suffering. Most of our suffering is confusing. And Paul says something just flat out. He says, I'm filling up that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. In other words, I'm going to use a different word for lacking. I don't like that word, but I'm just going to use a different word. I'm going to use the word expected. I fill up now in my flesh that which is expected in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, if you're a Christian, okay, 
You too, like your Savior, are going to suffer. You should expect it. It's what we do. It's who we are. It's because in Genesis 3, God looked down and he said, Oh, dang. What'd y'all eat that fruit for? Man, who told you guys were naked? Remember they covered their nakedness with, with, with leaves, you know? Guess what kind of leaves they used? Poison ivy, you know? It was all messed up. And the Lord's like, man, that's not even the right leaves. Y'all messed up. And the Lord said, the ground's cursed, you're cursed, work's cursed, relationships are cursed, the snake's cursed. Ah, it's all cursed. And then he gave the promise, Genesis 3.15. He said, but my son's coming. I've got a solution, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I'll give you a few verses. This is 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul says this, his very last epistle he ever wrote before they cut his head off. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's suffering. Paul also said this in Acts 14.22. He said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. That was his message to the churches he just began. Peter chimes in in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Was it tough for you? Don't be surprised. Jesus actually said in John 16, 33, in this world you will suffer tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. We continue in like manner in our suffering for his glory and for others' good. Your suffering matters. Have you ever, you ever watched somebody suffer and only become stronger? Have you ever seen this? It's so hard. Have you ever seen a, a, a chick hatch out of an egg? And they're trying to get out of there, you know, and they got this little part on their, their beak, you know, and they, they, they bust a hole in there, and you kind of want them to get out, and they got to do it themselves. The caterpillar's got to get those wings out when it becomes a butterfly. Do you know butterflies taste through their feet? Do you know that? When a butterfly lands on you from now on, don't, don't think it's cool. It's not cool at all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> butterflies, you know, this guy tastes salty. Anyways, moving on. Butterflies and, and chicks, they hatch and they need to go through that process in order that they might find themselves, listen, able to become who God intended them to be. You can't become and soar to the heights God has intended you to soar, do the things he wants you to do until you go through the seasons of suffering you're going through. We just want to expedite it and get to the other side. Look, can I just start the ministry? Can I just start the marriage? Can I just start the testimony? Can I start this? And the Lord says, no, you got you to suffer. I was at a staff meeting, I think it was Tuesday, and we were talking about babies and their, their maturation and development. I think it was staff meeting. It might have been here. I apologize. We were talking about how babies crawl. Isn't that crazy? A baby will sit up and it'll crawl. And they go through about six months of crawling, three to six months of crawling before they stand up. And if they don't crawl, okay, they don't get that upper body strength when they stand up for the first time and fall, they won't be ready to catch themselves. That whole crawling stage is to prepare them to catch themselves. Although, and, and some babies do this. They just skip crawling or go right to walking. And man, they got problems. You know what I'm saying? The kid stands up. Oh, you know, no, no strength. And maybe you feel like you're crawling through the dark right now in your singleness or your marriage, whatever it is. And God has a plan for you. Your suffering matters. You know, you know so much you can handle. Know your role. Don't be surprised. This is going to help so many people. Paul says it right here. I'm teaching the same thing I did last week, but I just had so much fun. I want to talk about it some more. Paul says, I became, verse 25, a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. This is crazy. If you don't know Paul's story, God contracted him by knocking him on the ground, shining a light in his eyes, blinding him, and bringing him to salvation. And then the Lord told him through Ananias, who laid hands on him three days later, no food, no water for three days, Ananias prophesied and said, you're going to suffer many things. And Paul's like, oh, we should have signed up earlier. Woo, you know. 
And Paul knew, oh yeah, it's going to cost me everything. Did you know, Paul's so crazy. Did you know when Paul went back to his brethren, the, the Jews, and he told them that God loves the Gentiles, they wanted to kill him? And did you know that when Paul went to the Gentiles and told them that they were to worship a Jewish Messiah, they wanted to kill him? This is crazy, by the way. Listen for you people out there who expect it to go well for you when you do the right thing. Even when Paul did the right thing on both sides, okay, they hated him. Paul, at this point, should have went to, you know, the complaint desk and say, I just kind of want to complain real quick. This, this sucks, you know, go on. Instead, he said, I now fulfill that which is expected in the sufferings of Christ. It's what I do. And when you know your role, you won't resist. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a dad. It's hard to be a mom. When Crystal and I were going through premarital counseling, she was 19 years old. And I was 22 and we were sitting there with Pastor John Minor, and he was leading us through these four or five sessions. And at one point, he looked at Crystal, and he just kind of winced. And then he looked at me, and he winced. And he said, Luke, you know that Crystal is a wicked, sinful, broken woman, don't you? And I thought it was like a trick question. I was like, ah, uh, next question. You know, like, and then he looked at Crystal and said, Luke, Crystal, you know that Luke is a wicked, sinful, broken man. And he was helping us to realize that we were marrying imperfect, broken, sinful, wicked people. That's just the way it is. And his question was, how in the world do you expect this to work? How's this going to work? And I looked at John. I said, Matt, I didn't know Crystal was that bad, you know. <laughs> and let me, and, and I use the same approach when I do premarital counseling. One of my favorite marriage books is titled by Paul Tripp. It's titled, What Did You Expect? It's a marriage book. He writes it 30 years into his marriage. And this whole question is, what would you expect? Because you'd probably expect something different. It's probably hard for you. And people get divorced and people fall away and people get weird and people disengage from all their ministries and their roles and responsibilities because it's hard. Signed up to be a dad. It's hard. Signed up to be a mom. It's hard. Signed up to serve at the church and be a Christian and bear the, bear the banner of Jesus. It's hard. It's going to be hard. It's okay that it's hard. Know your role. Instead of spazzing out and tweeting about it and freaking out, put your cares upon the Lord. Now, point number three we went through last week was trust the process even if it's a mystery. I really like that point because I, I just don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going on right now. How's this going to work out? You might not know. He might not tell you which is actually kind of fun once you realize that. Sweet. I'm just going to let the Lord decide. I'm going to let the Lord figure it out. Hey, Lord, you got a big problem on your hands. Big deal. Big deal. One of my favorite stories in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 23. And Paul is in prison. And a group of 40 Jews have banded together to kill him. And they've made a pact. They said, we're not going to eat or drink anything until he's dead. That's just how serious we are. Then they go to the jailer, the commander, and they say, hey, bring Paul out tomorrow, and we're going to mob him. Okay, it's just going to be out. We're going to pull his arms off his body. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Film it. It's going to be awesome. And so here's Paul in jail. Did you know that simultaneously that night, Jesus actually shows up to Paul's cell, and he says, hey, Paul, you're doing such a good job. And Paul's got blood coming out of his face because of the day before he'd been beaten by his brothers. Nobody likes him. It's all confusing. It's all messed up. And Jesus says, it's so fun. Man, we're up in heaven eating popcorn and watching you're, like, it's so, you're doing so good, Paul. And Paul's like, you got the wrong Paul, dude. This ain't good at all. I'm going to die tomorrow. And, then, and you guys know the story. The next day, his sister's son, his nephew, tells the commander of the garrison that there's a plot to kill him. And 
the Roman garrison leader grabs some horses, 200 horses and, and, and 300 spearmen. And he takes Paul and he puts him on a horse and he sends him 90 miles away to the Mediterranean prison. They're on the coast there. They got surf lessons in the morning and sunrises and pa pancakes. It's a, it's a real cool place. I've been there. And, and here's the Lord saying, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing, and I want you guys to be encouraged during the mystery. God knows exactly what he's doing. We've got two more points and then four more points. Oh my gosh, we're not going to have time. Let's keep going. The fourth point that I want you guys to write down, this is where we ended last week. Suffer like Jesus did. That's the first point. Know your role. Second point. Trust God, even if it's a mystery. That's the third point. And the fourth point is factor in the glory. It's going to be worth it. Look at verse 27. He says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He uses that word glory twice. It's the word kabod or doxa, where, where the Lord is there. And Paul says it's going to be glorious. This, this, it's the mystery of the, the riches. Let me say it this way and understand this point. When you get to heaven, okay, nobody's going to rush to the complaint desk and say, this isn't what I thought it would be. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, what gives? It's not worth it. Nobody's going to look back on earth and say, I want to go back and redo a few things. Man, that was awesome. Nobody. When you get to heaven, all tears wiped away, all fears relieved, all joy instilled, all love experienced, the riches of his glory, which is Christ in you. And if you have Christ in you right now, you have a taste of the glory. Remember when Jesus was about to die, he was in the temple and his boys, it's recorded in all three of the gospels except John. And he's with the boys. And the boy said, hey, Jesus, have you looked at the temple? It is glorious. And Jesus looks around and is like, oh, hadn't noticed. It's all going to fall down. It's all going to be torn limb from limb. And he rebuked them because they had a horizontal fixation on glory. Peter was one of the ones who asked him that question. You know that Peter then would write 2 and 1 Peter, and he would use the same word glory 11 different times, maybe 15 different times, and he would talk about the glory of God. See, he had his mind set on the things below. Let me just tell you, Factor in the glory. You suffering right now? Like I said when Ryan mentioned heaven. <laughs> yes. That's where we're going. That's the glory. It's going to be worth it. Don't suffer without that hope of the riches of the glory, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Fifthly, this is important and hopefully going to change your life. Suffer with God's power, not just your own. Look at verse 28. He says, him we preach warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect to Christ Jesus. He says, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Guys, that last verse, Paul says what he does and he says what God does. He says he strives and he labors. Those two Greek words are where we get our words, agonize and exhaustion. Paul says, you know what I'm doing? I'm striving and I'm laboring. Man, I'm exhausted I'm overwhelmed, I'm agonizing, but then he goes on to say, according to the end of verse 29, listen, according to his working, which works in me mightily, three words there I need you to notice, which he works, his working, which works in me mightily. That word working is where we get our word energy. It goes on to say that he works, that's where we get our word monster energy, okay? Those drinks we drink, I'm just kidding. And then that word mightily is where we get our word dynamite, dynamis. Paul says, you know what I'm doing? Man, I'm, I'm exhausted. 
I'm striving. I'm laboring. It's hard to be single. It's hard to be married. It's hard to raise grandchildren. It's hard to raise babies. It's hard to do what I... Is it hard? Yeah. Okay. Well, guess what? God's power works mightily. There is an energy source that is not your own, but it is borrowed energy, borrowed power from God that works mightily. And if you don't have that in your suffering, if you don't have that in your problems, okay, you're going to be stuck in the mud. You're going to be stuck... High-centered. One time I borrowed my friend's truck years and years ago, and I went to Blockbuster. That shows how long ago it was. And I remember it was in Ashland, and I was parked in this area. It was icy roads, and I got in the car. I grabbed a pizza and a movie, and I couldn't back out. My back tires were spinning. And I remember I was back there, and I was putting, like, the carpets under trying to get out. And this one lady walks by, and she yells, put it in four-wheel drive. <clears throat> and I looked, I was like... And it was my, my buddy's truck. I was like, is this thing four-wheel drive? And, and inside on the, on the floor, right by the stick shift on the floor was a hat. And I pulled the hat off, and there was the four-wheel drive, you know, kind of stick. And I was like, ah, oh, four-wheel drive! You know, I put it in a four-wheel drive. Pretty soon I'm going over curbs and in people's lawns. And I wish I was kidding. I'm not, man. I was going crazy. I had the power. Before, I was just spinning my wheels. You don't have the power in and of yourself. Without him, I can't. With him, I can't. Philippians 4.13. Through him, I can do all things. My pastor taught me a saying, I can't, he can. I think I'll let him. So it's the, the one, two, three, cha-cha-cha. One, two, three, cha, you know. I can't, he can't, I think I'll let him. It's the dance. You can't quit, by the way, friends. It's not an option. I'm going to walk away. What? I'm going to walk away from God, from ministry, from my marriage, from my kids, from my faith. I'm just going to walk away. Why? Because it's super duper tough. It's not an option. It's not an option. What am I going to do? Are you exhausted? So is Paul. Are you agonizing? Yeah, I am. Is there any mighty power, dynamite power? Is it working in you? You better expect this. My favorite story. I reference it probably six, maybe 700 times a year. Peter walking on water. When Peter walked on water, it wasn't because he had his water walking shoes. I'm so glad I wore my, the right shoes today. This would be crazy. I'm so glad I prepared for this. There's no water walking shoes. There's no preparation for walking on water. It's impossible. You can't walk on water. Unless the Lord gives you the power to do so. When David threw a rock at the giant, that's a, that's a bad idea. You don't throw rocks at big guys. Bad idea. Well, if God's with me, what can stop me? I'm going to throw a rock at his head. Okay. What kind of faith is that? Giants and storms. Not going to quit. Call upon the Lord for power. This is when it gets fun. This is when life's exciting. This is when life in your suffering, you can see beyond your suffering. You trust God in the mystery. You know that you're fulfilling what that is what's expected in you in Christ. You know that God's called you to this. You know it's going to be worth it. Factor in that glory. Ask the Lord for power to suffer. There's a verse that says that God's grace is sufficient for us, which means that if you need more grace, he gives what? More grace. If you don't need very much grace in your life, if things are easy for you, everything's balanced, everything's good, okay, the grace you need is very minimal. It's just a little bit. You just need a little bit of grace. So you hit 101, then you need a lot. Just a little bit of grace. But did you know that if your life intensifies, if the flames are heated up seven times hotter than ever before, if the lions are hungry, 
If the situation's real, did you know that God will take his bucket of grace and he will lavishly pour it out on you? His grace is sufficient for your needs. I look at people who suffer, who get cancer, who go through situations, who lose a loved one. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Well, guess what? I'm not in that situation. You are. And when you are, God's grace is sufficient. He gives more. And when it's my turn to go through my suffering, the grace will flow. Don't do it without God's riches at Christ's expense. What does the future have for you, Christian? Suffering. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I, 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 could just, I, I laugh because of my life. I was going to share some stories, but I'm just going to keep it to myself and laugh. <laughs> I'm laughing still at myself because of the suffering. And that's because I trust the Lord. It's like, hey, it is what it is. We're good. The minute you see Jesus spazzing out, that's your permission to spaz out too. The minute you see Jesus quit, man, pink slip, we're done. The minute you see Jesus get weird, you can get weird. Until then, hang on. He's got power for you. Guys, I'm going to give you four things to write down and then we're done. I gave you five things you must do while, while you're suffering. You can text me and I'll give them to you if you fail to write those down. Four, four reasons why your suffering matters or why do we suffer? The question isn't will you suffer, but when will you suffer? Let me give you four things just to chew on why your suffering matters. Number one, you'll become more knowledgeable about the Lord. One of our deep desires is to know the Lord. I want to know the Lord. And one of the greatest ways to know him is what Paul says in Philippians 3.10. I'll read it to you. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. That sounds cool, doesn't it? I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That, that, that part we don't quote. Our desire is to know the Lord, and you will not know the Lord as good as you'll know the Lord as you'll know the Lord in dark times. It's just the way it is. Now, that's great news, by the way, because I don't want to go through a dark time. I don't want it. But what happens when I do go through a dark time? And you look around, and all you have is the Lord. I fear no evil because you're with me. You'll never learn as much about the Lord as you'll learn about him in hard times. Number two, not only will you become more knowledgeable about the Lord, listen, you'll become more in love with the Lord. It's fun to gain knowledge about the Lord, who he is, what he's done. But all of that is meaningless unless you have a greater love capacity for the Lord. Have you ever, have you ever met a Christian who knows a lot about the Lord but no love for, for the Lord? It's different. Super smart guys, super smart gals. Have you ever met somebody who loves the Lord? Usually, it's because they've been through some stuff. What if the things you're going through right now, the, the things that you wish you weren't going through, God says, well, this is going to help you to love me more. Lord, I thought I loved you enough already. No. Psalm 119.67. The psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I did silly things. Lincoln County mugshots. That was the last thing I looked at on Facebook before I came to church this morning. Lincoln County mugshots, just seeing if any of my friends were there. No friends to report. Good thing. Good day. 
Psalm 119, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Guys, you'll love the Lord more through difficult times, not just knowledgeable, but more in love with him. Thirdly, you'll become more like the Lord, not just knowledgeable of him, not in love with him, but like him. Romans 8, 28, great promise, says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The reason Paul gives us that verse is because there's a lot of things in life that suck, hard things, difficult things. And Paul says the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, it all works together for good. Oh, is there any more to the verse? Yes, there is. Thanks for asking. Verse 29, and whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Interesting. So not only is he working everything together for good, that's great, but he's working everything in your life to make you more like the son of God. Less like yourself. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you guys really, at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day or in the middle of the day, you just you don't like who you are naturally? There's things about you. I'm raising my hand, trying not to. There's just things about me. It's like, come on, Luke. What the heck, dude? And I'm so glad because God is committed to making me more like his son. <laughs> you mean I'm going to become more and more like Jesus? Yep. That's a great promise. As a matter of fact, I'm 43 years old. My parents gave birth to me. My mom did in 1978. And, and every single year, I become a little bit more like Joe Frechette. I got the Joe Frechette swagger, you know. I'm walking out of my car like this, you know, that gangster limp, you know. and Get the bad back. And I mean, Joe is the original gangster. You guys know Joe. He's at home watching. I love you, man. Guys, you're becoming more like the Lord. Why would God expose you to suffering and hardship? to do these things. But lastly, and we're going to end with this point, this is an important one. I want, wish I had more time to develop it. I want you guys to hear this, if, if nothing else. Not only will you become more knowledgeable of the Lord, more in love with the Lord, more like the Lord. Listen, your suffering will make you more useful for the Lord. Not everybody appreciates your faith in your Christianity because you have it. They don't care. Your kids don't care that you're a Christian. Your neighbors don't care. Your non-believing friends don't care you're a Christian. Listen, until they see you suffer and you have a Jesus is real shirt, big deal. Until they see that Jesus is real in your life. When your back is against the wall. When difficulty knocks on your door. When it's hard for you and you're in the middle of your stuff, people watch you and they see how you respond. And if Christ comes out of you, they have no other conclusion but to say, dang, Jesus is real. I saw how you lost your wife. I saw how you lost your son. I saw how you lost your friends. I saw how you lost your health. I saw how you suffered. I saw how you lost your job. I saw that. You didn't spaz out. God will use you to a greater capacity as you burn for him, as you let your life suffer for him. Oh, make it go away. Make it stop. Take it away, Lord. He says, no, I'm going to use you as a martyr. The word martyr in the Greek is marteo, as a witness. You're going to be my witness in suffering. God has preordained suffering for you. He knows what you can handle. He knows who you are. Okay? Show up to work every single day. <sighs> what are we doing, Lord? He told Peter how he was going to die. He told John he was going to die. Got it all figured out, boys. He knows what you're going to go through. 
Listen, last thought. I say that and I lie to you. This is not the last thought. We tend to think that God can use us more mightily in our strengths and our successes. The Lord will use you more mightily, more effectively, more efficiently in your places of weakness and pain. Your darkest days, your deepest sorrows oftentimes become your greatest platforms for God's glory and for others' good. And when you stand and you give your testimony, or when you live on display for others and they see your pain, they see the way you were, were raised, the, the way that you suffered. We tend to look at ourselves and say, I, man, I, don't, I didn't have this and I didn't have that and I have this and I didn't have that. Lord, how, how are you going to use a guy like me? And the Lord says, so powerfully. I can use you so powerfully. But Lord, I gave away t- 10 years of my life to hard drugs. Perfect. Lord, I gave, away, I gave away my life to these other things. Lord, now I'm back. Now what do I do? Perfect. And we're going to storm the gates. Your greatest ministry often comes from your darkest suffering. This is how glorious our God is. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, would you have mercy upon us? Forgive us of our sins. Help us, Lord, to cling to you in our moments of suffering, our difficult days. Jesus, have mercy on us. And as much as I would love to come around every single person here today and put a little Neosporin on their heart and put a Band-Aid on their boo-boo and just make it go away, I'd, I'd love to do that. Jesus, would you meet us in our pain right now? Maybe there is no, there is no solution. Maybe there is great loss. There is great, maybe the end is near for you. Hey, do you know what? His power works in you mightily. The glory will be worth it. Trust him in the mystery. Know your role. Suffer like Jesus did. And if you need help right now in your suffering, if you just need a touch from the Holy Spirit, you do want that Holy Spirit Neosporin. You want the oil of God upon your life. I've got some oil on stage today. I'm going to pray for some people. If you need prayer, I'm just going to be at the stage when it's all said and done. Just come find me. I'm going to be here till the next service begins. I'd like to pray for you. But if you, if you just got to go and you got to leave, if you need the Lord to anoint you, would you just raise up your hand right now and say, Lord, anoint me for my life. Anoint me. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're, maybe you're in your 60s and you're working still and you're like, this is not cool. Maybe you're working at a grocery store and you wonder why you're there. And the Lord says, I have you here on purpose. There are men and women who come through your line every single day that I love. I bring them to you on purpose that they might see Jesus is real in your life. Raise up your hand if you want the Lord to use you in your suffering, in your singleness. Maybe, uh, maybe there's barrenness in your life. Lord, have mercy on us. We love you so much. You can put your hands down. Anoint us with the oil of gladness as we go our way. We trust you, Jesus. Come quickly, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. God bless you guys.